So Psalms, if you would, 136, we're going to read the first three verses, and then we're going to skip to the 23rd verse and read through the 26th verse. Now, this is a psalm of repetition. We would say it's a recital psalm, and so there's a truth that is declared, and then the response of the people of God is that his mercy endures forever. And it tells a great story, Psalms 136. But we're going to begin by reading the first three verses. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. And then the 23rd verse, who remembers us in our lowly state, for his mercy endures forever, and rescues us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever, who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. This morning's subject matter is about the mercy of God, but it's also about the grace of our Lord. And so John's Gospel, chapter 1, is another part of our opening text. John's Gospel, chapter 1, so that we have a, a firm and solid foundation for our study today. John's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in the 14th verse, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus. And we, as humanity, beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him, or testified about Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his faithfulness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The word bosom there is an interesting placement of a very uh, important word in describing how Jesus came into the earth. He came from the bowels or the heart of God unto humanity, and he dwelt among us for a very specific purpose, and that was to bring grace to us. In the Old Testament, they were well acquainted with mercy, and we'll cover that here in a moment. But in the New Testament, this concept of grace was introduced through Jesus Christ. So on your handout that you have, there's just a couple of, of short definitions that I want you to look at. But remember, our purpose in learning and growing and understanding the ways of God is not so that we would have head knowledge, but so that we could experience the change of the Spirit, so we could experience the transformation of the Spirit. So it's one thing to know something. It's another thing to experience it. And God wants us to experience mercy and grace. But it is important to know what it is so that when we experience, we can say, oh, that's mercy. Oh, that's grace. So knowledge is very important because it helps us in the journey of our life with God to say, that was him. Sometimes we, we have questions, what was that? But when we know what something is, then we're like, oh, that's what it is. And so it is with mercy and grace. So mercy is pity and compassion. You can see the Greek word there, it's elios. 
And it's God's mercy towards humanity, which denotes the same kind of protection and provision that God designed for a baby in its mother's womb. Consider that, ladies, the kind of protection that God provided for the child that you were carrying is the same kind of care and pity and compassion he shows towards us. That not only the protection, but the provision of that child. So it's also been defined, we know this definition, as humanity not getting what it's deserving. And we know what we deserve, judgment and wrath, but that's not what God bestowed upon us. And mercy was betrayed over and over and demonstrated over and over again in the Old Testament. There's ample illustrations and stories of those that experience the mercy of God. But when we get into the New Testament and see that grace came through the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the Greek word cherish or cherish. And it's divine favor or loving kindness. It's a gift or a blessing from the Lord. It has also been defined as humanity receiving something they could never earn. So if you consider both of those, and they're really something that we need to ponder and consider because a good portion of the New Testament, the salutations start off with an original, with a greeting or a welcoming to those that are reading the letter, either speaking of the mercy or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of their significance in how God interacts and uh, sort of intervenes in humanity, with humanity, it's important for us to see and to understand where their placement is in Scripture, and and it's something that, that uh, therefore, we can identify. I, I, I want to reiterate this, is that if you look at, at mercy, it's God withholding something that, that really we don't want. You know, uh, when we talk about the healing heart of God, we don't want judgment. We don't want sickness. We don't want disease. We don't want separation. We don't want division. We don't want strife, correct? Those are things that we do not want to be associated with or, or identified with. And so many times when that's what we deserve, God intervenes or shows up. And because he's a merciful God, a compassionate God, one who shows pity upon us because he knows our lowly state, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our frailties, and he intervenes to help us in those moments of weakness, infirmities, in those moments where we should experience judgment because God is just, but God is delights in mercy, and his mercy, according to the psalmist, endures how long? Forever. And also, Scripture says, his mercies are new how often? Every day. So that's an important truth that every single day we get a clean sheet of paper with the mercy of God. There's nothing written on that that is held against us. No judgment, no wrath, no condemnation, no fear. And, and, and because of the mercy of God. But it's not automatic. We're going to see how it's accessed here in a minute. And anyone can access it. And any, and it's available to everyone. And, and that's the beauty of it. And the thing that mercy teaches us to do as well as grace is to fear the Lord. And it produces gratitude and thanksgiving. It doesn't cause an individual 
who has experienced mercy to take advantage of God, it does just the opposite. It causes us to humble ourselves and to serve the Lord. Because we understand what we deserve, but what we got produces thanksgiving, gratitude, and a want to in us to do what's right. And that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life. He leads us along that path. Now, grace, grace is, when, I, when you think of grace, could you think it along these lines? It's the gift of God. It's something God gives us or bestows upon us that we couldn't merit or earn, and therefore we could never obtain it. Mercy and grace have some similarities. Both originate with God and are meant to draw us closer to him. That's why God displays both of those. When experienced, they both produce thanksgiving and gratitude. They share many scripture passages together, which denotes that they both have value or they were costly. Something has value, it's worth something. And many times they are working together. Let's look at a couple portions of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this is Paul talking about his conversion. And listen to how he describes it. 1 Timothy, the first chapter, we're going to begin in the 12th verse, reading down through the 17th verse. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent or an angry man, but I obtained what? Mercy because I did it ignorantly or in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief or I was the one that was the most preeminent. However, for this reason or cause, I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show all long suffering or patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We can clearly come to the conclusion that Paul understood what he deserved, but he also know what he received. He received mercy. And he said, the grace of God abounded towards me. God's patience was evident in bringing me to faith in Christ as an example for those who will in future times put their faith in Christ. Paul, putting this in summary, simply says this. If God saved me, he can save anyone. He said, I was the worst of the lot. And I didn't deserve any of this. But God's mercy and grace came and I experienced the mercy and grace of God. We have several accounts in the book of Acts of, of, of his conversion, of which it was God just showing up. God showing up. Even though he was bent to do harm to others, God showed up and changed the path that Paul would walk on for the rest of his life. And God shows up in our lives 
Therefore, to God be the glory. The last statement is such a, uh, uh, an important for one for us to grasp. Verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The wisdom he's speaking of there is that God in his wisdom gave us something that we didn't deserve mercy and gave us a gift that we could never earn in grace and therefore to him be the glory and the honor. When we have an understanding of revelation of grace and mercy, boasting is out, taking credit is out, glorying in the flesh is out, putting our good works before God is done, it's over. And we simply know we are what we are, as Paul said, what? By the grace of God. I can only do what I do through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a man who was broken, and then God built him back up, and God sent him forth. And what a great example these verses are to us. Now, I want to look at God's invitation when it comes to mercy and grace, because we all need it. We all qualify to receive mercy and grace. Not one of us is beyond mercy and grace. Hopefully, we're making room for mercy and grace in our lives. But there's a place where we're called to come, an invitation that God gives us where we can experience mercy and grace. Let's see what that is. So we can see it working in salvation. Let's see it here now working in our lives in times of test and trial. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, and that's our inability to produce anything eternal. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, or let us therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain or receive mercy for what purpose? To find grace to help in a time of need. Here he's speaking about a moment of temptation where our eyes momentarily are not on the Lord and they maybe get on to a situation or an offense or they could be misguided and as far as luring us away through lust or pride or greed, the, the three big temptations that we all face and, and enter and, and, you know, encounter in this life. And in those moments, sometimes we forget to look to Jesus, but here we have instruction. Now, consider, look back to Jesus, your great high priest in those moments of temptation, and remember that he can identify and sympathize and understand your weaknesses because he was clothed in flesh just like you, and hold fast at that moment of temptation when you're getting on that slippery slope of sin, right? To hold fast to the confession of Jesus' lordship, and remember, you can always come to the throne and you can receive grace and mercy to help you in this time of need. So in an hour of need, you have a place to go, an invitation that's been given unto us by the Lord himself. A way has been made into the presence of God. And I, for one, 
want to encourage you to go there often. Go there often and experience this throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find the grace that each and every one of us need in a time of need. I put down a little mathematical equation that is found in Scripture. It says mercy plus grace equals the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. When you think about the mercy and the grace of God and how they're used in Scripture and how at times they partner together, when you read about the mercy and grace, I can only come to the conclusion when you partner and put them together, it equals good news. It's good news for us that mercy and grace have come together in our Lord and manifested through Jesus' work. He's a merciful and compassionate high priest. Let's take a look at that now in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, because our Savior is forever the same. And and since He is, let's see the mercy of Jesus in action towards humanity. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and verse 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here we see Jesus extending forgiveness and acceptance to a a group that was outcast in their own culture and through the means of repentance and putting their faith in Christ, they found the mercy and experienced the mercy and and, and of God. And Jesus, uh, to his critics, said, you need to go back and really ponder and consider that what's going on with these people really needs to be going on with you. You don't need to be accusing and finding fault and and, and pointing at these people as if you're better than them. If you knew, you know, that you were in the same condition, you'd come and you'd sit with me and I'd give you the same thing I'm giving them. If you would turn from your ways and change your mind, then you would experience the mercy of God. Let me say that again. If we would turn from our ways and change our mind, we would experience the mercy of God. But if we're not going to extend mercy then guess what is withheld from us? Woo! Mercy. And all I can say about that is mercy. (laughs) Mercy. We need it. So if we withhold it, we don't receive it, even though it's available, because it's available to those who don't think they're above it, but those that know and recognize they're in need of it. So the tax collectors, the sinners, they were like, wow, We'll take all that we can get because we know what we deserve. And what they got was something that they knew was much better. They got forgiveness. They received acceptance. And through the means of repentance, they had a brand new life. And God does the same for each and every one of us. 
Continue to read with me to the 27th verse, same chapter, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. They just couldn't keep quiet because they just didn't understand mercy through definition, but they had experience. Notice when they came to him, they identified him in his proper way that he was the son of David. They recognized who he was prophetically and why he had come into the earth. And they said, if there's anyone who could bestow upon us the desires that we need, you can. So would you have mercy on us? And Jesus willingly ministered to them and he identified what? Their faith had something to do with it. What did they have faith in? The mercy of God. The mercy of God, they had faith in the mercy of God. Sometimes when you feel that, wow, I just don't know if I can believe or obtain or receive the mercy of God. Have faith in the mercy of God and endures forever. He remembers us in our lowly state. He comes to us. He invites us to come and to receive from him. And when we come, we never leave dissatisfied. We always leave saying, to him be the glory. Okay, let's continue here. Three works of grace. Can I go over those? Saving grace, standing grace, serving grace. So grace is extended to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift that God bestows. So a gift is something you simply receive. When someone gives you a gift, it's because they wanted to give you a gift. And God wanted to give us the gift of salvation. So he gave us Jesus Christ. And with Jesus, there is salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 10 tells us about this saving grace of God. Do you remember the saving grace of God that came to you at that hour in, in your life where you realized that you were lost in your sin? And if you were to be judged in that position, you would be separated from God. But the grace of God, the gift of God came to you in that moment. Something you couldn't earn or merit, something that you didn't deserve. And yet it came and manifested and God gave it unto us. The text tells us in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, of course we are, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This amazing saving grace brings us from eternal death to eternal life, from being judged and being separated from God, from passing judgment and receiving grace and the gift of eternal life and home and a home in heaven one day. This standing grace, anybody uh, uh, facing any test or trials ever have any tribulation? And you need strength at that moment. You know grace is there so that you can stand. Uh, Romans 
uh, talks about this wonderful standing grace that is given unto us. And once again, it's a gift that God gives us. So our response is to receive it. How? By faith. Just as you receive salvation by faith, you're able to stand by faith. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having been, and that's past tense, justified, how? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of the strength of the might of the power of the majesty of God. So in these moments of testing, trial, and tribulation, just as you have experienced God's grace to save you, this grace will uphold you and strengthen you and so that you will be able to stand. I like what Paul said to the church at Ephesus, and having done all to stand, you keep standing. You just keep standing. Why? Because of the grace, the gift of God. Now, we know that we have to be careful that we don't believe we're standing because of something we've earned or merited, because of something that we deserve. No, we're standing because we put our faith in what? The grace of God. It is the grace of God that saves us. It allows us to stand. And how many of you know you can get weary when you're serving? Anybody ever got tired of doing a good deed? Well, the story of Mary and Martha tells us that what happens when we get tired, we start to find fault with others. Anybody ever found fault with somebody else? You knew what you should have been doing, but it was easier to cast a stone at someone who was actually doing what they knew to to be doing. So Mary and Martha is a great example unto us, but read in the book of Hebrews with with me. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. And it reads this way. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Why? By which we may serve God. How? Acceptantly with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a, what? Consuming fire. Now this is where we have to know that any biblical truth has a polar opposite truth to balance it out. As I stated earlier, and we'll finish with this, the more aware we are of God's mercy and grace in our lives, the more generous we will be towards others. So let me pick up this thought. Is that mercy and grace come to everyone who realize their need for them. They experience both through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in his mercy, faith in the gift that he's given us. And, and, and as a result of that, it creates gratitude, appreciation, thanksgiving. It curbs complaining, fault finding, a critical and a condescending spirit. It curbs all of that because we understand we are what we are by the grace of God. But not everyone experiences mercy or grace. And yet it's available to everyone. It's accessible to everyone. Through faith, anyone can come and receive. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, this is the 
the, the truth that balances out the abuse of mercy and grace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer uh, uh, gave his, his life during World War II uh, as a martyr uh, to try to shut down the Nazi regime. And, and what he wanted people to understand is that there is no such truth in all of Scripture as greasy or sloppy grace. That grace came at a great cost. And when we understand our condition outside of mercy and grace, then we respond to God well. We respond to God graciously. But if we don't respond to God's mercy and grace, and we don't appreciate the times that He has been merciful and gracious to us, then there are consequences for sin. That's the... That's the other side of it. Here's this great gift of salvation and forgiveness and healing and God's love manifesting in our life. But if we don't respond to that, what did the writer of Hebrews say? Beware, because our God is a consuming fire. In other words, there will be some things that his fire burns up. And it's the chaff. It's the things that are unprofitable for us so that we in the end would be saved. But let's look at what Jesus had to say about this because there are some people, and I'm not one of them, that are propagating, well, if that's the case, that mercy and grace endure forever, which they do, and are available to everyone, and it is, well, then we don't have to do anything because in the end, Grace wins, mercy wins, and therefore we can just live any way we want to. We can condone and conduct ourselves in any manner in which we want because, hey, mercy and grace. But let me remind you of this truth. It is not wise for us to tempt God. It's not wise for us to test the Lord because the Lord is still holy and righteous and just in all of his ways. And while he chooses out of his loving heart towards us to give us what we don't deserve and to give us a gift we could never merit to earn, at the same time, if we don't show appreciation and gratitude and it doesn't create humility within us, then we can experience the opposite, and that is judgment and wrath. Because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So here we see in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. I'm not going to read the whole parable because it's it's extensive. And for time's sake, I do encourage you to read it. But I want to let you know it's about a man who received all of his debts paid. He couldn't pay them. And yet... Mercy was extended towards him, and all of his debts were removed. Now, he went out, and he found somebody who owed him just dimes on the dollar, as we would say. Didn't know him much compared to what he was forgiven or released from. And since he didn't understand the principle that since he was shown mercy, he should extend mercy, he took matters into his own hands. And it tells us right here, In verse 31, let's pick up there. So when his fellow servant saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their masters all that had been done. 
Then his master, after he had called him, he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me or you simply asked me for mercy. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity or mercy on you? And his master was what? Angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Listen to verse 35, lest we misunderstand what Jesus is saying. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I don't want to be turned over to anything that's torturing. I don't want a sword to enter into my heart, into my home, into my fellowship. But I am here to say there's some swords that need to be dealt with this morning. There's some division in some homes, some strife, some backbiting, some complaining, some gossiping. Have you encountered the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? I encourage you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and get rid of the sword. There's a sword in some homes. And the sword can be removed through one simple act of faith. Has God been merciful to you? And gracious and patient as we've read as he was with the Apostle Paul. Should we extend that same attitude and behavior towards others? Amen. I like the way Paul says it, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor for you, that you through his poverty might be made rich. That's rich in every realm. My prayer is that we would have richness or fatness in our soul, not leanness in our soul. When we're lean in our soul, oh, we're harsh and hard critical, condescending towards others, fault-finding, bickering, backbiting, complaining. That's a sword. That sword that enters into your heart, that begins to manifest in your relationships, hurts and harms and hinders the grace and the mercy of God that He has available for each and every one of us. But if we just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, all things are taken care of. Can you say amen? amen? All things. I say that swords are in homes because I know how sneaky the enemy is. I know how sneaky he is. Comes out in this way. Well, you know, I'm really not complaining. I'm just calling it like it is. Aren't we supposed to, as Christians, call those things that be not as though they are? Aren't we called to bless and not curse? Well, if you only understood what they said or what they did to me, you would see that I'm justified in what I say and what I do to them. Do we want to live under the law or do we want to live under grace? Grace. Have you met grace? Have you encountered grace? Maybe a fresh acquaintance with grace this morning.
would remove the sword. How quickly? Like that. Because God abounds in mercy and is gracious to all. Let me say that again. You can't get rid of the sword through your merit, through your behavior, through your conduct, through your good works. Because if you could, you wouldn't need the grace of God. You get rid of the things that hurt or ail or harm your soul by realizing it's through him I do this. It's through him. And since it's through him, it is mercy and it is grace. Therefore, he gets the glory. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.